Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. We're trying something new for this week, a roundup of stories and discussions not long enough by themselves to carry a podcast, all put together. Joining me to discuss solar panels in China, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse's spousal hypocrisy, the burgeoning scandal around COVID origins and ESG investing's effect on the energy sector is my colleague, Ken Braun. Uh, Ken, welcome back. Glad to be here. So uh, let's start at the beginning then. Uh, we, I think a couple years ago by now, uh, had Michael Schellenberger on the podcast, mm-hmm. uh, and his, his outfit put out a report uh, on solar energy. What did, they, what did they find, and what does it, what does it mean? Well, um, just, just to put background on here, um, most of the solar panels you're seeing installed around the United States, uh, possibly nearly all of them, or in your local town, China makes 97% of the silicon wafers that go into solar panels, according to NPR, and, and about uh, 75% of the solar panels worldwide. So the Inflation Reduction Act is, to the extent that it's funding solar energy, is pretty much a giveaway to a Chinese company. Uh, Schellenberger's group, with some assistance from research being done by an Italian researcher whose name uh, eludes me right now, discovered and reported this week that the carbon intensity that's been of creating solar panels that's been widely used by the International Energy Agency and the IPCC, the International um, uh, the Intergovernmental uh, Intergovernment. Intergovernment. Thank you. I forgot the meaning of it. Anyway, um, they found that their estimates have been two to three times undercounting. In other words, the solar panels, carbon intensity to make solar panels, the lifetime cost in carbon intensity of of a solar panel is two to three times more than what they've said. Um, And their estimate right now for solar panels is 48 grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour, which is almost, you know, functionally the same as uh, natural gas with carbon capture. But the estimate now is it might be, I'm sorry, two to five times. It may be as much for, for solar as 170 to 250 grams, which would make it, uh, you know, when you start adding in some, what Schellenberger. If, 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 I remember, yeah. if I remember reading the report that like the default for natural gas without any carbon capture was four to 500. So it goes from yeah. being about a tenth per kilowatt hour to only about half. Right. And the reason for this is the I, um, the IEA and the IPCC have not been counting China's production tactics in their estimates. They've been estimating solar panel construction's carbon cost based on what solar, how solar panels are built in the United States with our strict environmental regulations and in Europe, not in China where they use lots and lots of carbon-fired power plants, not the natural gas we use here to the large extent, and um, not even very clean coal-fired power plants at that. So they, it, 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 it's a functionally nonsense number. And uh, how bad it is, we probably really won't ever know because China's uh, reporting on really much anything is pretty notoriously awful. So what... I guess what are the implications if this finding is borne out? If this finding is is replicable? Yeah. So 
I think just since we can put a big question mark in the number, it already makes illegitimate the claims over decades now from the Sierra Club, the Environmental Defense Fund, the Natural Resources Defense Council, all of the big League of Conservation voters on down, uh, all of the large uh, nonprofits that have been funding left-leaning climate policy and promoting renewable, so-called, really weather-dependent, weather-reliant power systems, have been promoting a, a a fake number and a fake solution. And another thing to bear in mind: Schellenberger, uh, his group, Environmental Progress, and uh, many other researchers have been very good showing that solar energy's footprint is two hundred to six hundred times what natural gas and nuclear plants are. In other words, they chew up 200 to 600 times the environment. Even before we get to the carbon emissions, we're talking about the land use. And, you know, environmentalists used to care about, you know, the environment, but but not no longer, apparently. Um, so, yeah, and I mean, you can find the the hypocrisy in, in you know, Read read the Influence Watch profiles we've done on any number of these groups, including um, Environmental Progress, who does actually very good work on this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I guess now we can move on to uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, with whom our boss has uh, had some interaction, um, <laughs> uh, having testified before his before his committees. Um, he's been going after Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, uh, obviously as part of the demand justice, uh, broader left wing. Oh, shoot. I'm forgetting the, uh, what's the, what's the other group that Robert found? Uh, just majority. Yeah, I'm sorry. I I don't have that one on. Uh, well, there's another like big coalition of, uh, of lefty groups that is pushing for court packing. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. just majority. Just majority is the name okay. of it. I just looked it up. Uh, you know, so it's all of all action, Alliance for Justice, uh, Popular Democracy, Color of Change, uh, League of Conservation Voters, March for Our Lives, NARAL, uh, People for the yeah. American Way, you know, name a liberal group, Women's March, name a liberal group, you know, most of the big ones are in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and they're, you know, and they're pushing to pack the court because, of course, they're unhappy that the originalist conservative majority is making originalist conservative decisions. And so Sheldon Whitehouse has been going after Clarence Thomas for, among other things, the fact that his wife is a political activist, uh, which is interesting given what Sheldon Whitehouse's spouse does. Am I correct? Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so Ginny Thomas was a political, um, professional political operator congressional aid lobbyist done you know she had had a professional life of her own much like her husband's and much like myself and other politicians not not a politician but you know much like myself and millions upon millions of americans other people who do who i mean who do advocacy work many of them not all and then people that do People that do advocacy work are much like Americans in many in every other industry. They tend to pair off with spouses who who share their uh, who are in the same industry and often meet at work. And and so there's nothing inherently wrong with what Jenny Thomas is doing. She's continuing her career that she had before uh, her husband became a federal judge. Um, 
And we find out that so so what White House and and Thomas's critics have been casting about for to create an ethical dilemma here really is something there's no real there there. Um, and you know if, if if Thomas wishes excuse me if White House wishes to make this into an ethical dilemma, his spouse has has worked for the Ocean Conservancy. And one other nonprofit um, environmental group that I'm uh, not remembering, uh, Altacy, it's a port of Los Angeles. Um, between the two of them over the last dozen years, she's earned, presumably done good work for them, earned more than $3.1 million. And White House has, at least in the case of the Ocean Conservancy, had his had some policy things that he's done that have dovetailed with and assisted them and made their lives better. And again, nothing inherently wrong with any of this, but since Sheldon Whitehouse wishes to make an ethical issue of it, I mean, if it's really an ethical issue, which I would argue it's not, um, then Sheldon Whitehouse looking for trouble here is sort of like the old joke about OJ Simpson saying he was going to go look for the real killers of his wife. I mean, there's really no, you know, there's no there there, but if it there's something there, then you know, yeah, stop it, throwing it, rocks I, around I, your I, glass house. Right? Yeah. yeah, I would I would say you know people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, but you know we're both you and I both agree that actually this is a regular house, but he's throwing stones at another regular house. <laughs> right. He's making it as if the house is somehow made of glass when it's not. But you know, if it is, then I mean, there's a good solution for him. He can he can. Avoid this horrible hypocrisy trap he's created for no reason. Um, if he can just by, ask by his just wife, walk, you know, just not walk, or just not walking into it, <laughs> or not walking into it, or you know, if you want to, I guess, ask your wife to abandon her career ambitions so he can follow his. Uh, I, I don't know what else, what else we're we're going for here. It seems that uh, the senator and I guess the committee along with him have wandered down a weird trap of their own making. And you can find all of that on a profile, our extensive influence watch profile of Sheldon Whitehouse. (laughs) So uh, moving on to the next story, you've written extensively on the Twitter files. You have a very Mm -hmm. long uh, piece on those uh, disclosures to, among other journalists, Michael Schellenberger, who we mentioned earlier. Um, And one of the things that that, those releases revealed was that there was a campaign to suppress the discussion of certain stories around Mm COVID-19. And this, this week or last week, or maybe the week before that, uh, we had another drop of evidence of organized efforts to suppress discussion in the scientific community about the origins of COVID-19. Uh, what can you tell us about the Proximal Origin scandal? Proximal Origin is a paper. Uh, it's a proximal origin of the SARS blah, blah, blah virus written by a number of um, virologists back in February of 2020. Um, it argued, and no, it didn't just argue, it definitively stated that the, that the lab leak hypothesis was absolute bunk, that yeah, the, the, the lab leak hypothesis being the view, uh, which is now certainly, you know, the, like some of the intelligence, yeah. A- yeah, it's certainly debatable. Some of the intelligence agencies say it's more likely than not. Some say it's less likely than, than other theories. It's that either, well, typically not by design, just by accident, you know, the mm-hmm. coronavirus laboratory in Wuhan, where the outbreak of, of coronavirus happened, uh, 
there was a failure of its biosecurity. Uh, virus got out. That's where the virus came from, uh, and, as opposed you know, to and, some natural origin. Right, and and you know sub sub variant of that. Um, not to use viral language, but a sub variant of that argument being that you know were they playing around with naturally occurring viruses or were they doing the gain of function research that we've, we've learned that, you know, there, there's right. the, ma- some... the making, the making viruses stronger right. to do experiments with them to stop. Were they viruses? doing a great job on gain of function research and a hideous job uh, <laughs> in their biosecurity, keeping their, their new toys from accidentally leaping out of their lab. Um, the argument in the paper was that, well, it's, it, there's a natural origin, meaning it came from a, an animal of some sort, uh, they've never found the animal. All of this stuff about the 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 food market that the thing was. Remember, we were all talking about bats three years ago. That's c- gone away. There's no animal that's ever been found. And, and since then, um, there's been quite a bit of evidence that, yeah, they probably you know, there's a great book written about it by a couple of um, science reporters. And um, that that we you know, it's it's more than debatable. It's it's a it's a pretty active and, and worthwhile discussion as to whether this thing was created in a lab A and then escaped from a lab, whether it was created in a lab. All of that is now widely accepted as acceptable debate. These guys, with some pressure from possibly um, all the way up to uh, Dr. Fauci himself wrote this paper back in February 2020 to throw cold water on that whole notion and denounce it as a conspiracy theory. It was a total, as they admitted in some of the messages that have come out now, their messages discussing the paper themselves, they were deliberately concealing their knowledge that, yeah, it might be a lab leak, but they wanted to suppress that. How did we get the messages? How did they become public? So the, the that's an interesting question. Um, the Congress was the the House committee was looking into them, and uh, I, I think there's a the, the name is looking into the origins. Yeah, there's of a spe- the there's, I think virus. it's the special yeah. committee on COVID origins or something. Right. Yeah. They're, so they're doing a, a a very good investigation into it, one way or another. They got a hold of the Slack messages and the email messages among the authors of the proximal origin paper where it revealed all of these unpleasant and kind of duplicitous discussions they were having. And then somehow that, so to speak, leaked out of the lab and ended up in the hands of uh, Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger uh, and all of the good uh, reporters who have done the Twitter files. Uh, I mean, it just goes to show what good investigative reporting does. You, you do good work and you keep your, you keep the sources of your, of your information quiet. Other sources, um, you know, I'm not. I don't know if someone deliberately leaked it. If they, I mean, I've heard Taibbi I mean, be a, very quiet as to how, you know, as he should, how in the world yeah, they got yeah. a hold of this. But nobody has disputed the authenticity. The authors who yeah, are I mean, kind of caught red-handed here, yeah. And if it's, you know, part part of or parallel to a congressional investigation, you go. This is the congressional investigators doing doing the right thing. They're not, you know, they're they're trying to build an evidence base to make their to make their arguments to the public rather than, I mean, we've seen it in, especially in congressional investigations all the time, just the, you know, I'm going to go on my party's cable news network and say absurd things. Ken, you've written extensively on the, the Russia, the, 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 the number of times that was done during the, the Mm -hmm. Russia Trump stuff. Um, 
you know, but here we have the the House committee is at, you know, it's actually, you know, acquiring these documents is actually, you know, building an evidence base from which it can make conclusions. And, and and conclusions about something that should have been debated three years ago. I mean, if if the 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 likelihood of us ever proving that this came from a lab, or I mean, the Chinese were very good at keeping quiet about the information back then. We helped them apparently. And they, we and, were, they, and they compromised the WHO. They from the very beginning had the WHO compromised the, and not just right. because they had basically gotten the director general elected. Yeah, I don't know what's the what's the scariest part of this that. These researchers who wrote this paper, knowing that they were not telling the truth as they knew it, I don't know what it, you know. With direction from on high is the is the quote that keeps getting used. Who, who how high we go and who's on it is is an open question. Um, the, the the most benign explanation is they were engaging a conspiracy to cover up what they didn't know was going on. And then, of course, the the less happy answer is that they knew that there was a lab leak and well, they were or, covering or, or that merely up. The, or merely the possibility would threaten yeah. their funding. You know, if, threaten if their funding. Because, again, the, the, the Obama administration, to its credit, had a, for at least, mm-hmm. for, for at least a of portion of research. the Obama administration, there was a ban on gain of uh, funding gain-of-function research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this was a, an, an – um, simplest level it looks like they're trying to protect reputations and careers which shouldn't you know we should have evidence and and go where the evidence leads not particularly when we got to be looking into whether you know where this thing came from and and kind of that's an important piece of information um and they were also in their messages being very political about who was spreading this so-called conspiracy theory and who wasn't and I mean, to be real, I mean, it's, it's wild. It's wild to think back to February, 2020, you, you had, you know, democratic politicians saying, you know, you should go to the Chinese new year parade to show your solidarity with Chinese Americans Mm -hmm. as, as, because COVID hadn't like it had made it over, but it hadn't quite made it over here yet. Uh, And so it was a very, very different than what ended up transpiring later in the outbreak. Yeah, and I mean, and President Trump at that time was probably the most uh, um, prominent questioner of whether the Chinese, you know, whether this was a lab leak and what, you know, clumsy, inartful, inaccurate at times as he was. Um, he was far more, he was far closer to the truth with no knowledge of the, of, you know, virology than this paper turned out to be. And I mean, it's an interesting counterfactual if you go back and say, in March 2020, if Trump versus China COVID was a matter where the virologists and Dr. Fauci and everyone else was saying, yeah, it could be true. We got to look into it. It's important to get to the bottom of this. If they were being honest, um, you know, the election in November turned on 66,000 votes in less than a handful of states total. Does Trump not being denounced as a conspiracy theorist all that time swing 33,000 votes? I mean, it's kind of right. like it's the, the, same, it's, it's the, the same, Russiagate I mean, it's the same stuff. I mean, there's a lot of these things that have come out. Right? That, like if Comey doesn't come out and talk about Hillary Clinton. Oh, sure. You know, would that have flipped the whatever 4,000 yeah. in three states or whatever that 
secured in 2016 for Trump. It's, you know, the, but, but, yep. but, but, and, yep. but of course, you know, I mean, then and, the and so the question, this is often based off that, <laughs> based off that assumption. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it, so getting back to our cabal of scientists here, um, uh, Schellenberger, some of the others have argued, well, this is politics infecting science. And, and I guess that's right on one level, but really what this is, you can argue this is science, the science, make capital, sure you put the scare T, quotes S. around it, and <laughs> make it a proper noun because those who use the phrase. Right. Yeah. Those who come up with the term are generally being self-referential as well. So we should make it a proper noun. Um, the, uh, yeah. I think maybe it's the science corrupting politics, which is uh, really something worse. Um, and, and, a, and a pretty scary thing. So, yeah, and, and here's just one last quick thing on this. You, you opened this with a discussion of the Twitter files. Um, you wonder, one thing led to another led to another. If you back all this up, Elon Musk's decision to open up, to, to do a, um, an, an expose of his, become a whistleblower of his own company, um, had a lot to do with where we are now finding right, all this other whatever, information out. This is really... Kind of a whatever you think of a his chur- a church com- of yeah Twitter now X as a company uh, opening the books on the previous regime was a useful public service. Yeah, snowballed us into a a transparency era uh, that um, probably doesn't you know it, it doesn't happen to this degree. Otherwise, does the uh, do those messages leak out in whatever for, uh, fashion if Taibbi and Schellenberger at all are not, rep, you know, known as the, the Twitter files guys you can trust on gov- with government secrets? You know, I, I'm looking forward to what and else to they the find final out. Item. So obviously we've talked a lot about ESG, environmental social governance, this movement within business to make it conform to left-wing environmental, social, and uh, – transparency policies um what effect might that be having on the energy sector so robert bryce uh the energy uh writer who has a Substack and a podcast both of them free and i strongly encourage everybody to listen to him if you have any curiosity about what's happening in the energy world robert's very good on this stuff uh he came out with a report on sunday i think it was Sunday, Saturday, one of the other two, showing that uh, the price-to-earnings ratio of British Petroleum, Shell, ConocoPhillips, Chevron, all of them, uh, was f- far below the S&P 500 average. Uh, price-to-earnings ratio is a measure of whether the outstanding shares of a stock versus the profits um, are really you know, in line. A low PDE ratio a lower ratio, I should say, shows that the company might be a bargain. It's undervalued as far as the market uh, is showing and might be a worthwhile thing to buy. So um, the S&P index was 20.5 in Robert's calculation. Shell's P.E. ratio was 8. ConocoPhillips, 6.5. Chevron, 5.1. British Petroleum, 4.3. I mean, so these are looking like, you know, vastly undervalued oil and gas companies. And he paired that with the fact that the energy demands of oil and gas are just exploding right now. And people are keeping vehicles longer um, that, you know, these companies are showing low PE ratios because they're 
more pro- they are profitable. They'll be more profitable in the future. And Robert's uh, contention in his 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 column, his Substack, is that the ESG pressures on state financial managers, on public pension funds, on private managers such as BlackRock and the like, is actually depressing these stocks. Um, the market will not be fooled, however. Eventually, uh, gravity will reassert itself, and presumably these, you know, as he said, and as I will say, I'm not an investment analyst. Do not buy stocks based on what I say. However, um, the the argument that the ESG uh, the ESG crusades ha- may be depressing these stocks, at least temporarily, is a uh, is a is a sounds like a pretty sound one. You, you also have to. And, uh, it, it argues for a real comeuppance in, in the future. You know, I, 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 read yeah. the, I read the article. Yes, has to factor in things like regulatory risk, the agenda of the Biden administration, uh, the agenda of the of the of the of the European the agenda. Yeah, the he did. He did mention all that as well. Uh, and then you, and, and, and all that also, is uh, yeah. that the oil and gas companies are really good at their jobs. They keep finding more of it, which drives up the supply they keep mm-hmm. figuring out how to uh you know one one of the stuff that they found they keep trying to figure out ways to to get it out with fewer guys with less equipment obviously lowering the the cost of supply uh so that you know right. that's part of it too and all that and all that yeah and they, and that factors i mean they are the boom bust cycle in the energy markets is often a uh, driven by the the success, they're a victim of their own success. They get very good at finding and, and pumping out more, ener- more, more, uh, uh, more energy. And then, yeah, the, the, the investment in it, you know, they, they, the, the price collapses yeah, and yeah, you're, you're, you're hundred, you're hundred, you're hundred dollar well, cycle when price goes up, the, well the investment happens. Do anything for you if the price is $60. Exactly. So, you know, and, and some of that all does wrap into the ESG pressures and it all, you know, it all, um, some of what you said about the political pressures is obviously the Biden administration following the dictates of some of these groups we've spoken of. And then some of the big ESG promoters like, like you can find on an influence watch, Sarah's, as you sow, carbon disclosure project, Al Gore's generation investment management, BlackRock, um, who are, you know, driving and, these and policies. Also, so it's all, uh, and also you know, the, there's the a mixture gov- of things going on there, but union uh, pension funds in the blue states that have adopted, uh, because mm-hmm. the government worker unions and the union movement more broadly is fully in, fully in line with the uh, ESG agenda of the progressives. Uh, that have decided that they are going to use their government worker pensions to pursue these sorts of agendas. Right. And doing that pulls, you know, if you just look at, you know, an econ 101 simplicity uh, market, if you pull out, you know, a good number of your largest investment pool and they're not investing in, these energy stocks, those makes the stocks cheaper for, you know, everybody else who may buy them, but it does depress the price until, you know, eventually if this is what's going on, the price will be shown to be seriously undervalued because the value of each stock's earnings when these companies report 
what could be bigger profits will, you know, it, it'll, it, at some point, even, you know, the, the people who aren't, who, who are buying the stocks now will buy more of them. I mean, it's just the market will reassert itself if it is an ESG total political driven and not a, um, you know, and if the regulations come off a different, uh, a different political climate could change it overnight. I mean, anyway, it was a, it was a fascinating read because of the, the, just the total discrepancy, um, in these numbers that is, you know, very clearly affecting the energy industry. I mean, I mentioned some of the, the, uh, just the bigger oil company, the well-known international oil companies, but there were like two or three other major uh, energy firms that he mentioned in his analysis that were under the P&E right. ratio as right. well. Um, well, so, I think that has know. been a good conversation yep. on some topics that were not quite long enough to carry a podcast themselves, but between the four of them, we have now carried a podcast. So thanks again to my colleague, Ken Braun, for joining. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you, and please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.